Well, thank you guys for coming. I know it gets colder and darker, so it's not as fun to come out in the middle of the week, but thank you guys for making it. How about we'll start in a prayer and then we'll begin. Uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you, you sent your Son in order to teach us who we are. Christ's teaching gave us human dignity. Help us to unpack such a deep reality to help us understand who we are and who others are. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. Okay. So just housekeeping things. This is actually the last one of the semester. You guys are more than halfway done, which is pretty cool. Um, hopefully, you know, we've had a lot of different speakers, uh, different personalities, different styles. So hopefully that's kind of helped in the process of learning uh, what the Catholic Church is, um, what it, what what she teaches. Uh, what Christ, how how Christ wants to connect with everyone through the Catholic Church. Um, so hopefully that's kind of helped. So one thing to start thinking about over this Christmas break, because this is the last one before break, is in January, it might be the third, the third Sunday of January, we're thinking, we have what's called the rite of welcoming. So those who are discerning like, yeah, I think I do want to enter the church, there is a little blessing that takes place at one of the masses. So there'll be more details to come. But what I would start kind of discerning is, am I to the point where it is a strong possibility that I think I want to enter into the Catholic Church? If that is a truth for you, that is a true reality, it's like, I think I know enough, I'm, I've resonated with the church, I want to come in, then we are going to give you information when you come back from break about at a Sunday mass, there'll be like a blessing and a welcoming. Um, this is an ancient tradition dating back literally 2000 years. What happened was after Christ founded the church and they were teaching other nations, uh, teaching all the nations, and they would bring people into the church, we're gonna do the same exact rite of welcoming those. So um, it's a 2000 year old tradition used to be that RCA was a three-year process, so um, Church Inner Wisdom kind of pared it down a little bit, uh, so you're not having to go through three years of, of, instru of instruction, but, um, but look out for that. But I would really start kind of discerning this, this uh, Christmas season to be like, yeah, it, it does seem like the truth is here. I'm, I want to join. It doesn't have to be like a 100%, but but if you feel some sort of calling, then we'll have you participate at a rite of welcoming on a Sunday Mass. More details to come, but something to think about. Like we're more than halfway through. Is this a reality for you? So praise God. And if you need any more um, kind of one-on-one -on -one times, we have three priests who are willing to say like, all right, what are your, what are your questions? Because um, yeah, sometimes this works for most people. But sometimes there's that little one-on-one -on -one thing that you might need. So just let us know. We are more than happy. Father Walmeyer, Father Sita, myself, we are all more than more than willing to meet with you to just kind of discuss some things. So sound fair? Right of welcoming coming this January. Okay. Tonight's topic is the gospel of life, dignity of the human person. And I think the what most people encounter about the Catholic Church are the things that she does out in the world. 
um, we're going to broach the topics that that really stem from the fact that we believe that each human person has dignity. And we'll dig into what does dignity mean and all of that, okay? So if you do have your handy dandy handout, um, one thing that I do recommend, that is if you ever are one of those who just wants deeper study about things, um, and this is something that we'll probably supply as well, but uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church has everything. What The beautiful thing that happened in the 1500s um, when, when Martin Luther like challenged the church and the church, I mean, both people on, on that and that argument, we should do that sometime. Uh, maybe he did in history. Um, both sides in that just handled it very poorly. But the good that came out of that was the church was like, you know what? More people do need a place they can go to have like, what does the church actually teach? And so after the council of Trent, um, came up with a very much catechism where you can look up any subject of any kind. So that is a thick book, but you can just hop to where you need. Um, so tonight we're actually going to say, well, like, what does the church teach on human dignity? That's what the CCC stands for on your worksheet. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, CCC and those numbers. We can flip directly to those numbers and see like, okay, what does the church actually teach about human dignity? I am summarizing it for you, um, as well as if this is daunting to you, there's a beautiful book called The UCAT. It's mostly, mostly directed for youth, but I, as a 39-year-old, love it. Um, there's a lot more. It is condensed. There's a lot of beautiful pictures. There's beautiful saint quotes on the side. Um, down in the lower right-hand corner, there's like a stick figure of a man walking and doing backflips, too. So, um, so if you're ever bored, you're just like, so there you go. Um, but a UCAT can be very helpful because it's condensed, very short, um, fun, fun little things in there. So in short, what do humans, what do Christians say about human dignity? Here we're coming to the catechism. Every person from the first moment of his or her life in the womb has inviolable dignity. Dignity and in a lot of terms has probably been changed throughout the years because people have just different colloquial understandings of the word dignity. But the thing that we are going to say is that every human has this dignity and should be treated with respect because of it, okay? The inviolable or irrevocable or indestructible means that your dignity can't be taken away because of either a lack of something you don't have, um, a privation, uh, something you did wrong. Your dignity is always there. So we would even consider the worst of the worst people in the world to still have human dignity and should have certain rights and a response to those rights, okay? So why do we believe this? Because from all eternity, God willed, loved, created, and redeemed that person and destined them for eternal happiness. One of the beautiful parts of um, the fact that us humans were made in the image and likeness of God, well, what does God do? He creates. And so it's beautiful when, um, you know, a husband and wife come together, there, the two loves create a third love. Two loves create a third love. And so that just really reflects God and his creative capacity. 
So what happened is, is God allowed us to have a creative capacity and as humans. So he said, okay, husband and wife, you supply the body, I will supply the soul. So at the moment of conception, those 23 chromosomes from, from mom, 23 from dad, come together for a full human, so all the body is there. And then God at the same time instills an animating principle, the soul, okay? In Latin, in Latin, soul has come from the word animus, which in, in English we would say like animating uh, motion, movement. Because if you think about it, um, just because two, let's even just put it on the board. Just because like two cells come together, a sperm cell and an ovum cell or an egg cell, just because those two things come together doesn't mean that they have to react or have to move or have to multiply or have to go towards a direction. We would say that, yes, we supply the body, but the animating principle, the soul, is starting to, is the action that takes place. So during all of these stages of human development, um, you know, these cells that are dividing are called pluripotent cells. Pluripotent just means it could be anything. But the soul, the animating principle, is what orders the action of the movement and says, hey, one day soon, you're going to be a spine. You'll be part of the skin. You'll be part of the eye. So that's how we would say that from the moment of conception, that is going to have human dignity because, again, the parents supplied the body. All chromosomes are there. God supplied the soul. And from that moment, it's all together. That human life deserves respect, deserves every right that any human deserves as well. So by the very nature of them being human, they deserve human dignity. We'll get more into this when we get into the womb, but um, just keeping it more in general, um, here, let's just do that. Keeping it more in general, that's, I was jumping ahead a little bit, but that's the very beginning of human dignity. So let's take a pause on the learning part of it. And how does this apply to you? Okay, so this can actually be a good, meditation and a good prayer for you. I meet a lot of people who struggle with self-worth or self-dignity. Some people think that their dignity or their well-being or their or if they have any worth is dependent upon what they do. And so when they do bad things, then they say, I mean, then that crushes them. They come to me and, and, well, or I go to them. And there's this sense of like, well, God should have nothing to do with me. I have to get better before I can come to him. Um, you know, and every, every other rendition of that essentially possible. So a good practical application for this idea of dignity is that no matter what you do, you don't lose it. Okay, no matter how far you stray from God, um, no matter if you were born with different skills or born different in general, doesn't matter race, ability, disability, whatever, you have, you have worth. And I, and I think it'd be very helpful for you, no matter where you are in your life, maybe you think every, maybe everything is great, 
but wouldn't it even be better if you could kind of solidify the fact that your your dignity is intact no matter what you do okay so a lot of people get this wrong and put other people ahead of them or them ahead of others but it should be really unifying and reparative to to just believe that we all have the same dignity um I remember it was very practical. Um, the summer before I left for college, I was going to study engineering. And so the summer I left for college, um, my dad's just a contractor, a general contractor just on his own. And so we were shingling and we were sitting on the roof waiting for the guy who was packing shingles, me and bring him, bringing the shingles up on the roof. Um, and dad, and dad said like, um, you know, we were sitting there we were exhausted. It's like, 5 p.m. It was late summer, so we're just fried. And he's like, you know, you're going to go be a fancy engineer, but, you know, in the end, you're no different than that guy who's, he was 50 and just packing shingles up the ladder, down the ladder, up the ladder, down the ladder. And that comes from the wisdom of just understanding that human dignity doesn't make you better than anyone. If anything, if you are placed in a position of power, studying human dignity could kind of help you see other people as they are and give you a desire to help people. Um, if you feel yourself lower than others, then study, thinking about and praying about your human dignity could raise you up a little bit and help bolster your confidence. Like you are, you are loved and you should be loved and you should be respected. So that's kind of the pause of the prayer and the meditation on human dignity that could be helpful no matter where you are in your life, okay? Does anyone have any questions about that a little bit? Just human dignity in general. You can check the QR code as well. Um, let me just check the QR code then. Nope, nothing. Okay. Totally fine. All right, so that's kind of the first step is human dignity in general. You have it, you can't lose it. So that way you should treat everyone else with the same level of respect. You're on the same level. It helps those who are in high positions to keep them humble. It helps those maybe in lower positions to, to keep their dignity, to keep reminding themselves that, you know, in the end they're worth just as much as everyone else. Um, yeah, so a good meditation. Hopefully you can take that to heart. See if you have any damage there and invite Christ into that spot. Because Christ really wants to tell you about your dignity. That's good. All right, so as the church, we have a response to this then. If every last human is equal and deserves, deserves our respect and our help, we have to do something about it then. Christ was very interested in the poor and the widows. Back in the time of Christ, if you were a widow, you really couldn't work for enough money to sustain yourself. Uh, if you were poor, you would beg. Uh, if you were disabled, you would beg. And so you just relied on people. And a lot of times people were starving in the streets and there was no central place they could go. You know, if if you are homeless in Lincoln, there's Matt Talbot Kitchens, there's uh, St. Mary's always has, uh, when Father Doug Dietrich was there, uh, does anyone know Father Dietrich? Yeah, so he would always have uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Just right, he would just spend time the day before just making sandwiches. 
because he was downtown Lincoln and everyone who was homeless knew you could at least get something that day to eat. Uh, so, so we have to have a response to this human dignity. So we're going to break it up into three. We'll talk, and I kind of jumped out a little bit. The pre-born or those who are unborn, not yet born. We'll talk about their human dignity. Uh, healthcare in general, especially for the poor and the vulnerable or the different abled. And then lastly, end of life, because I think a lot of a lot of Catholics get this wrong. So it'd be great to kind of um, teach the truth about end of life care just to get everyone kind of ready. We all have loved ones who are at different stages of life and there are decisions we have to make. Um, so how can I how can we help you? So I'll just give you a preview tonight and at least it can kind of spark your memory like, oh, yeah, I can go to Father Hall because this is our specific situation. And I don't know the decision to make. Should we give them morphine to the point where they're out of it uh, and then they'll speed up their death? Um, should we pull the plug? Can I pull the plug? Um, quote unquote. So we'll talk about things like that. How do I respect the human person at the end of life? OK. So the first one is in the womb. All right. In the womb. So. I think you hear this most about um, Catholics and Christ Christians. That we are those who are pro-life. And there's a lot of misnomers that go with that, too. So I hope to help clarify. Why are they so stuck on this, like the pre-born humans? Why are they so stuck on this? So let's just do a rational thought, um, philosophical thought. The thing that actually convinced my left brain to be pro-life was the fact that if you have, if you take a sample, you know, if you take a sample at any point during this development, uh, take a sample of cells, send it to a biologist, you would ask two questions of that biologist. The first one would be, what species is this? And, you know, it's not cat, it's not dog, it's not tree. What species is this? It is human. At the time the sample was taken, was the organism alive or dead? Well, they can tell. At the time this sample was taken, the organism was alive. So for me, that what actually made it click for being pro-life was species, human, dead or alive, alive, human life. Every last one of us in this room looked like this. It's not pretty. And uh, yeah, we looked like, especially the fetus at four weeks. This is the British way of spelling fetus, but uh, we didn't look pretty in the beginning. Um, but that is human development. That's another way to kind of recognize your dignity. We all started out like this, okay? So even though some people say clump of cells is a big one that you might hear, right? That's getting too vague for me, a scientific-minded person. Like you're getting farther away from what's actually there. You're, like you're, you're, you're expanding out. I actually want to know what it is so I can make a decision. So what is it? It is species human and it is alive. So those are the two things from a philosophical, rational thought of why Catholics and Christians would fight for this because if every human life has has dignity and rights, it starts here. Okay, for those who are like, ah, eh, that's too dry, um, not scientific minded. You know, what does the Lord say? Um, throughout Scripture, there are there are pretty clear teachings. Jeremiah one five is the big one. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is God talking to Jeremiah. Um, 
Jeremiah, I love Jeremiah. It's not only my dad's name, but uh, he was just prophet of gloom and doom. If you ever feel kind of like pouting, um, just read Jeremiah. Everyone picked on the poor guy. And he's like, he whined to God. And God was like, I know, buddy, but I, you know, before the womb, I, I knew you before the womb. I appointed you a prophet. Um, so Jeremiah was the, a big one. Before I formed you in the womb and before you were born, I consecrated you. St. Paul in Galatians, same deal, 115. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and had called me through his grace. If God knows everything from all times and, and knows, uh, another one is the interaction between Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. When Mary said hello to Elizabeth, um, the infant in her womb leaped for joy. John the Baptist leaped for joy. So there was a response. There was a life in there that responded to another life um, in the womb across the room. So there you go. So those are the scriptural references. Does that kind of help a little bit? Like there's a, a philosophical, rational thought. There's a scriptural thought. Does that kind of give you enough breadth so that you could probably talk to people to some degree? There's a lot more in each camp. Um, so if you do run into someone at work or someone out in the world or a family member who is in one of those realms but needs more, just come and talk to me. We can give you a lot more, uh, whichever one. Um, as again, as a former science guy, um, I thought if I pushed too hard in the science realm, I could destroy the church. Um, and then I learned humility and every answer I had within the church was met with a nice rational thought. So it, those two realms are like why we defend life within the womb. Um, so addressing public concerns. Um, so if this, if this kind of section of my slides looks pretty academic, it's because I, I taught morality. And so these are like taken from my high school, hey, you better learn this for a test kind of slides. But, um, but it really does have um, helpful. Yeah, in junior morality, we'd also talk about the, the reproductive, um, you know, the fertility. Um, we talk about natural family planning, which we'll talk about later um, in this class as well. But, um, but yeah, just wherever, wherever fertilization takes place. Um, this one is, is more detailed. I like this one a little bit, especially when it becomes a blastocyst uh, over here. And then implantation can kind of help. Yeah, we, I mean, we got into it. Just because I think it's more helpful. And then here's a, here is a real, whoops. All right, and here's a real, this is a live shot of a human after a couple days. So human life. What's kind of fun is that the word fetus actually comes from the Latin word meaning offspring or youngling, uh, little one. So if anything, fetus is kind of a cute little word for, for baby, for little human. Um, so a lot of people use it as a try to remove, kind of remove any affection from the clump of cells. But actually in Latin, it's a, it's a beautiful offspring, little one, hatchling. Um, so it has a little bit to it. I'd give my kids the SAT analogy. Um, did anyone take the SATs? I didn't take the SATs. You took the SATs? Yeah, I didn't do that. But what was cool about the SATs was those, oh, what do you call them? Uh, the, this and the, like Sierra, what it's like, well, it, it's these, like food is to hunger as water is to, what are they called? A simile, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, so food is to hunger as water is to thirst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
kitten is to cat as puppy is to dog. Okay, you, you guys are you can go to the you can go to schools on the coasts. You you know how to do these things. Um, so then we would say adult is to fetus as bird is to as bird is to egg. There you go. I like it. Um, and you can also see sometimes with with sixteen and seventeen year olds, I had to keep them awake a little bit. So if this analogy holds true, adult is to fetus as bird is to egg. Let's look what happens when you destroy an egg. Um, too long, did not read. Um, there is a law in the United States that if you destroy an eagle and destroy, capture, move nest, whatever with an eagle or an egg, it holds the same exact penalty, $250,000 or two years imprisonment. So our laws have the same penalty for killing the bird as it does the egg. And why is that? Because you have destroyed that bird and it, that bird's life in a part of its development. So even within our law system, we do have an understanding that if you kill something in its development stage, you kill it. It does not exist. Um, for some reason, it, it, it didn't carry over to fetus and adult. Um, so anyway, that was just one of the thought experiments that we would do um, in class. So that's when we talk about um, abortion. So the word kill is very like, it's, it's a tough word, kill. Um, and you'll even see people use murder. And what's so hard is that there is a situation wrapped, you know, there's a human close to any subject. And so like abortion itself is nothing other than we are ending the life of the preborn. And so be it the word kill, be it the word murder, whoever you are discussing this with when talking about Christian dignity, make sure you take their temperature on what language would be the most viable or most accessible to them. You know, you're ending a human life. And I believe that one human life, just because he's stronger, bigger, more knowledgeable, cannot end another human life. Okay. So, yeah. The, um, I mean, even bring it up. Like at the point of conception, um, the sex is determined. It either has XY or XX chromosomes. Um, hair color, eye color, like height. Well, you know, sometimes uh, environment can play a role in that or development within the womb. Um, but a lot of the stuff is predetermined. So that human is, is going to look as it's going to look from the day of conception. So that would be kind of the, um, you know, talking about this in general. Um, yeah, I don't want to get lost in the weeds of addressing public concerns. So, um, you know, because lately there are talks about people saying why we would need abortion. Um, well, how about this? I'll just give two. I'll address two public concerns, and then we just won't get lost in the weeds. And if you need more, just, just come to me. Um, I would say a big one is uh, people talking about uh, needing abortion in the case of rape or incest, which is... Um, the first thing I tell like any any other human is before you get into this pro-life debate, stop. Give the woman whatever she needs. That 
rape incest is the most violating thing that can happen to a human. So before getting into any kind of pro-life arguments or keep the baby or all of that, make sure she gets whatever help she needs. So that is, I would always stop my kids and say like, don't get into any debates or anything right away. Make sure they get healing. Um, so I've helped a lot of people who have suffered this trauma in their lives, be they when they were young, be they when they were teens, be they when, when they were adults. And this is the most tragic thing that can happen to a human. Um, so the first thing when addressing the, the, this concern is help, help the woman help them. Help, help, help. Okay, so that's my first, first thing before I'm going to say about anything on this subject. Okay, so say you've given help, comfort, um, safety, healing to the person, and then the topic comes up. I would point them to not what you would say, but there are a lot of pro-life advocates who were conceived in rape, but the parents decide to have them. So there are pro-life advocates. Um, Rachel Kiesling is a big one. Or Rebecca, sorry, Rebecca Kiesling. I have two sisters, Rebecca and Rachel, so I get that mixed up. So her name is Rebecca Kiesling, and she was conceived in rape, and now she is a pro-life advocate. In short, her, her talk is, you know, I am very glad that I didn't re receive the death penalty for the crime of my father. So, she, so I, if that is a topic that does come up, I would say that you yourself should go research individuals who were conceived in rape but were born and then they're now pro-life advocates so rebecca keesling i i don't know how to spell that offhand maybe write that in the notes look up her talks but that is the main crux um there was another one where he was given up for adoption um oh i can't remember his name but oh, i forget but but he was like their family had 15 kids um so like seven or eight were adopted anyway that bless those parents um and their patients but but he felt loved he felt you know he was you know different skin color than all the other brothers and sisters but but he had that human dignity and just now he's a pro-life advocate as well he adopted three kids his, himself um but yeah so in that public realm i would look up their experiences and see if you can share them i think that's going to be the most helpful in that realm okay so it's a very sensitive topic but agree with whoever that first the woman needs any kind of support okay the other public concern is uh some people are saying that you need an abortion because of late stage pregnancies um that might uh end the life of the mother as well in short, uh, I wonder if I kept those slides. We'll talk about that later. Um, no, I didn't. So in short, just deliver the baby. Um, Preeclampsia, is that the high blood pressure? Yeah, that high blood pressure can burst a valve at any moment. If, if a woman comes in preeclampsia, it's caused from the pregnancy, and that is a direct correlation. So a lot of people say that you need an abortion. However, an abortion takes 24 to 72 hours to prepare the cervix. Meanwhile, if you do a C-section and deliver the baby, you've ended the pregnancy within an hour. Now, does every baby live at 19 weeks, 20 weeks? No, but you gave them it a shot. 
So a Catholic response to what about a woman with preeclampsia at 19 weeks? You say can't do abortion. Well, you, you should respond. No, instead of preparing the cervix for 24 to 72 hours in order to perform a third, third trimester abortion, just deliver the baby within the hour with the C-section. If the pregnancy is causing, end the pregnancy by delivery and be done with it. Will every kid live? No, but again, you give them a shot. Lincoln had, uh, was it 20 weeks? The kiddo live at 20 weeks? Yeah, I read that and I was like, that is itty bitty. Cause that was, uh, I have a friend, they, they, they conceived um, quintuplets, is that five? They can see like they were having troubles and then they conceived five. Um, and so only two survived in the end, but they were like two pounds. I can't imagine a human being two pounds like in your hand. Uh, that, but anyway, um, so that is a way to address two public concerns that might help. Um, sometimes people just think you're pro-life, just bulldoze it and you're blindly following it. No, there's a reasoning behind it, okay? If you need more help, um, especially because Christmas is coming up and you'll be around family members, or you yourself are, are still struggling or in conflict with this, I will accept you. We will, let's talk. Um, I would say before seminary, the majority of my friends were non-Christian, um, you know, pro-abortion, and I'm still friends with them, well, a lot of them today, but I can at least explain. At least they've gotten to the point where they're, okay, I can see your point kind of thing. So that addresses two public concerns, all right? Um, so if you have any more, go ahead and maybe type them in and I could address them. So what are the alternatives? Um, here's the beauty. Uh, so say someone, a young woman finds herself pregnant, single, in need. This is where the church is like, yeah, steps right in. Um, St. Gianna's Women's House here, um, here in town, um, these these are like little life issue things. They're, they're on the free table over there. If you see the light blue thing, so you can kind of, this is like a pro-life. It has more in depth of what we're talking about. But St. Gianna's Women's House, it provides employment and education assistance as well as counseling service. Since opening, they have helped over 280 women, 360 children, provided 123,000 nights of housing, and help save 41 babies from abortion. St. Gianna's is a place where um, some cases are a mom might be in an abusive relationship and she's pregnant and has a kid and she wants to escape from this guy, an abusive relationship. St. Gianna's is a secret location that we house women. Um, so they come in, uh, the Marian sisters run it, and um, at the end of their stay, however long they stay, um, be it after the after birth, um, you know, getting the kid into kindergarten, whatever it is, how long they stay, they get to keep all the dishes, the towels. In other words, when they move out into a new place, they don't have to start from zero. So in other words, St. Gianna's house is where rubber hits the road of, are you pro-life? 100%, you better believe it. Uh, Catholic Social Services does the same exact thing, um, mothers in need. Uh, the Sisters in Life in New York City are another beautiful, um, I think I have a video on, on here, but let's first also look, um, well, no, healthcare in the Catholic Church. 
Maybe I didn't upload that one. Oh yeah, I did. No, hold on, here we go. Is that me kind of making weird noises? So the Sisters of Life are in New York City. Um, they do the same thing, but on a much larger scale. See if this loads. Here we go. So who are the Sisters of Life in New York City? Okay, so the Sisters for Life are in New York City. In our parish, I'm very proud of them, Embrace Grace. Embrace Grace does this at our parish level. Maybe had three or four young women last semester. Um, because part of part of it is, I think, when people find themselves in these situations, they may feel like, oh, everyone's just going to judge me at church. But Embrace Grace was just women who just cared for them, just brought them into the fold, threw them a baby shower, um, you know, had the gender reveal party, uh, support, a little Bible study, and that's here at this parish. And I, I'm so proud of them. And I think they have two more women this upcoming uh, semester. But yeah, so this is something where a lot of people are going to say that Catholics are pro-birth and not pro-life. Um, that's just that's just something to stop you from from looking deeper. We do believe that there is so much human dignity in everyone, even the preborn is our first our first thing we're looking at are the preborn so much that we put our money where our mouth is. Um, I'll put a pre plug in because at the end I was going to do a big plug, but if you feel yourself called to this ministry in any way, um, we have means through which you can help. Um, St. Giannis always needs volunteers or, or food or uh, donations. Um, so if you yourself are like, this is, this is what Christianity to, is to me, like lived out. If you're feeling that tug on your heart, contact me and we'll, we'll set your heart on fire by getting, getting into that work. Because it's not just coming here on Sundays. It's actually living it out there in the world. And I would say, like, especially in Embrace Grace, the, the ones that are helping, the ones that are leading it, um, they feel so much joy, not only at the Mass, but also serving in this, this beautiful manner. They'll tell you the first thing is, I didn't think I had time for this, but they receive a lot more than they give. And I feel that myself, too, when I'm, when I'm working with people and giving, and they're like, oh, thank you, thank you so much. And at the end, I'm like, honestly, I feel like I received a lot more than I've given. Um, so, so that is kind of, if you feel any pull to this, um, that experience might be in your future. Let me help you get you to that spot. Might be with uh, the preborn and women in need. There you go. All right, so let's take a break. Go ahead, take a break. Um, let's take a, so that was 45 minutes. Let's, let's go till 647.